Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here. Another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. Today is being joined by Adam and Jordan of Texas Fungus. And uh, they have been only in existence for a couple of years now, but we have watched their rapid growth and uh, rapid pivoting as they got hit by COVID and had to change marketing channels uh, drastically. And so we thought it'd be a great to have them on and have them chat all about things fungi and uh, how they've been changing their marketing. So welcome, Adam and Jordan. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank sure. you very much, Michael. Yeah, Jordan, do you want to give us a little bit of background about your about mushrooms and how you got started with them? Uh, yeah, sure. So I started as, you know, as a chef, as a cook. I was in the industry for a little over 10 years and then kind of got chewed up and spit out mm-hmm. and really wanted life to go a different way. Um, but I really loved, you know, farming and where I was as a chef and as a cook, um, getting to work with local farmers. But I had never worked with a, a mushroom farmer. Like we had beef guys, we had people doing microgreens and field crops and, you know, things of that nature. But we never had a mushroom farmer stop by in any of the restaurants that I worked at. And so after I got out of the industry, um, I kind of went to or I went to corporate America and quite honestly just hated it, you know, the minute that I got there and was kind of looking for a way out. And so naturally I went back to my roots of, okay. I want to get in the kitchen back in some way, but I wanted to step onto the other side of things where it's not so much just executing ingredients, but okay, how do we sustainably go about producing ingredients that are in a more nutritious, beneficial way to the end consumer? Mm. And no one that I had known knew how to grow mushrooms. Um, And then what kind of sparked it for me was one of my friends got me a grow grow your own mushroom kit oh, very um, from one of the, yeah, from one of like, you know, the big box stores or yeah. whatever. And he was just like, Hey, I found this. Um, do you want it? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know? Um, and I tried it and it didn't work. And so I called the company and I was like, I did all the steps. So can you point me in the right direction? And they're like, yeah. yeah, well, we don't really have time to explain all of mycology to you. So just figure it out on your own. Okay. And yeah, I was like, well, that's what I'm going to freaking do. Um, <laughs> and that's when I just really, I honestly, I, I wish I had a better story or a better write-up for it, but I literally just got a bottle of tequila and just sat on YouTube for like eight hours, just like researching, going crazy on videos and message boards and, you know, even on like, you know, the shroomery, stuff like that. Uh-huh. And then afterwards, I just had this newfound fire you know, burning inside me. And I was like, I can freaking do that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> after I contaminated and contaminated and contaminated so many things, um, I finally got it right. Uh, I originally started growing on hardwood logs mm-hmm. and cutting down trees, you know, in the summer, um, even on, you know, your day off, it's like, well, that was uh, not so fun. And we just started, you know, 30 minutes ago. 
because um, you're out in the woods for you know 30 minutes in the morning, even in Texas summer, uh, you you kind of wish you were near a pool very very quickly. So then I started transitioning to okay, so what does this indoor kind of grow? Mm-hmm. And then um, I you know found some other videos on that naturally, and then I started buying some books and reading, and I was like okay what what is this laminar flow hood thing and what do you do with it you know just different things like that and so just kind of little by little started piecing things together and then was much able to quicker grow mushrooms that um you know chefs wanted and so or that they were at least willing to pay for and so naturally you know when you start a new business you know you reach out to uh, your initial you know your first network of people right um, and so I, you know, pitched, you know, my product to chefs that I knew and some ones that I didn't know. And they were like, wow, this is great. You know, can you grow us anymore? Mm-hmm. And then, um, then on a group, another mushroom growing Facebook group, um, that's where I found Adam and okay. someone just, yeah, they made a shout out of like, Hey, where are you from? You know, where are you growing mushrooms at? And then he said, uh, I think either Bedford or Euless. And I was like, wait, that's in the Metroplex. Who is this guy? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I shot him a message, and I was like, hey, man, we should link up because I don't know of anybody else around here doing this. And he was like, well, I'm not really growing, but, you know, I'm super interested. I have a really nice, you know, pretty badass lettuce operation going on. Um, but I'm interested in mushrooms. So, yeah, if you want to come down to my farmer's market booth, you know, we can chat. And he even allowed me to sell my mushrooms at his booth alongside him. Um which was really cool. Uh, didn't even charge me a, a booth fee or nothing. But uh, after that, then we were just like, hey, you know, um, I kind of like you. You kind of like me. Let's try to do something together. Mm. And then we had this idea of, okay, well, we can go from, we'll get a 2,000 square foot warehouse. You get 1,000 square feet and I'll get the other 1,000 square feet because, as you know, plants need CO2. Mm-hmm. Uh, mushrooms generate CO2. So we were like, yeah, it's going to be this nice, awesome symbiotic relationship. And then uh, we started crunching some numbers and Adam straight up told me, he was like, you know, for what you can produce per square footage, uh, doesn't make sense for you to go in business with me at all. Yeah. And it's almost like you tried to talk me out of it because, you know, with lettuce and stuff like that, you can only go square, but with mushrooms, you can go cubic. Mm-hmm. So, um, it was kind of funny when he was like, okay, he, he straight up asked me, you know, okay, what's the square footage that you could generate? And I was like, well, I mean, I can go multiple levels. So as high as the ceiling will go. And then he was like, you know, okay, shout out a number. And I think the it was, he was just kind of like, um, really, really surprised, not dumbfounded, but just like, you're joking. Right. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And, uh, and then he was like, okay, well, why don't we just grow mushrooms? <laughs> and I was yeah. like, yeah, I think so too. Um, so yeah. So then we went from, you know, my 200 square foot, one car garage that I was growing in. And that was a whole operation. Wow. Um, very extremely micro, less than micro. Um, and then we took over the 2000 square foot warehouse, January 1st of 2019 down in Arlington. And uh, we've just been rocking and rolling ever since. Cool. And okay, so Adam, tell us your side. How did you get into uh, mushrooms? It sounds like you were just poking around for a while there. 
So yeah, so for a long time I've been poking around just trying to to learn and 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 get some information. I'm I'm the type of person that I can learn a lot from a book or from a video, but I really prefer to actually go visit somebody that's doing it, work side by side, hand in hand with them and mm-hmm. and get that physical experiential learning. Um <clears throat> so I've I've done hydroponics and aquaponics for probably the better part of the last 10 years. Um, I did that while I was teaching high school for the last 20 and such. And <clears throat> I'd always wanted to grow mushrooms. They, they just, they fascinated me. Yeah. Um, I had the opportunity probably eight or nine years ago. Oh, actually no more than that. Probably 12 or 14 years ago to go to growing power for a weekend. And oh, cool. one of the, one of the sessions that we did there was growing oyster mushrooms on pasteurized straw in hanging baskets in the greenhouse. And I was like, okay, well that's a great way to increase the revenue of my greenhouse. Mm-hmm. I can just hang these baskets of, of mushrooms and I get that and the CO2 comes down into the plants. It's all good. And like Jordan said, there's not any real mushroom farmers in the Dallas Fort Worth area. So I never had that opportunity to find anybody that I could go learn from. So yeah, when a random post showed up in a Facebook group and this guy said he was in Dallas, I, and then he messaged me, I was like, yeah, we definitely need to meet and talk and figure this out. Um, but no, farming's just, it, it's something that I've always loved and always loved doing. And Growing mushrooms is so completely different than any other type of farming and agriculture I've ever done. It's, it's just, it's, it's a new adventure every day. Um, especially at our farm. (laughs) Okay. So what makes mushrooms so different? The, let's see. Um, the contamination factor, the the substrates that they grow on, the the speed at which they grow. I mean, our our quick growing species from the day we start making the bag to the day we harvest it is usually twenty to twenty one days. I mean, those that's our fast growing species, and mm. it's just it's super fast. Um, it's it's so cool to watch the mushrooms grow once they start pinning because they'll double in size every 24 hours. So you'll, you'll see them pin on Tuesday and they're, you know, not even an eighth of an inch in size. And then by Friday, they're, you know, some of the, some of the mushrooms will be eight inches across. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on your farm, what is a typical, and actually, I mean, like, I guess my question is like, do you guys consider that a farm? It's, I know it's a warehouse, but you're producing food. So, I mean, how do you talk about it? I mean, yeah, it is as urban ag as it comes, you know, it it truly is. Um, But it is kind of weird to, I guess, even for myself to call it a farm, Mm -hmm. even though we do grow inside a warehouse that has, you know, no central AC or heat or anything like that. So I guess it's more of an operation, but yeah, we are growing food, but it's completely urban agriculture. Very cool. So what does a typical week look like? <laughs> um, uh, That's so a good question, man. 20, 25 hours a day, eight days a week. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it, so our, our farm is, 
it is bootstrapped in every sense of the term. Um, so Jordan and I managed, have managed to build us up, build this farm up to a point where it is. And within, I mean, realistically, we've done everything with zero debt, uh, zero leverage, and everything has been built from the ground up. So our mentality from day one has been, we're not going to, we're not going to, to, to scrimp on, on labor, you know, and, and get things and we're going to do it ourselves, I guess is mm -hmm. what I'm trying to say. So, you know, it's, we've had a part-time hand for most, most of the time that we've been in business, but it's only been the last mm, six weeks that we've had a second hand helping us out. And that's only because, you know, we've just, we've, we've spread out what we're producing so much in the last, well, since COVID started. But uh, let's see, a normal week, uh, we make, we make substrate on Mondays and Wednesdays. We inoculate uh, those bags on Wednesday and Friday. Um, there's cleaning that happens every day. We move bags from point A to point C to point A to point B to point C around just as they move through the process in the farm. We have to harvest every day, sometimes twice a day on for certain mushrooms. And then there's deliveries. So, I mean, it's, and then we're also in six farmers markets every week. So it's, it's busy and there's, there's always something to do, something to build, something to upgrade, something to fix. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the cleaning part that, so is that the grow room or is that just, just all different areas of their operation? Yes. The, there is cleaning is an absolute necessity. So like hydroponics, we've created an artificial environment for these mushrooms. We've created an environment that we've intentionally created a sterile space inside these bags for the mushrooms that we want to grow. So if they get contaminated by bread mold or any of the other thousand different uh, mold and fungus species that are out there, then it's, you know, it's, they're going to run wild. So we have to, we probably, we, we tell our, our customers out at farmer's market that our farm is probably one of the cleanest places you're ever going to see that produces food, like that grows food because we have to clean everything all the time. Mm. Um, everything gets scrubbed, everything gets sanitized, everything gets washed at least two to three times a week. And we just, that's a part of what we have to do because cleaning is, it, it's it's necessary as if we skip a day then spores start to build up in the fruiting room and contamination grows wild and then we end up losing 30 40 50 bags i mean it's mm. we have to keep everything super super clean and that's just the nature of the beast mm -hmm. and part of covid you know whenever it really hit that was one of the things that actually kind of threw us for a loop is that you know, since we do clean so much and we try to keep our operation spotless and then all of a sudden everybody in America wants to keep the inside of their living spaces spotless. Well, there was a, a lot of our stuff that we just weren't able to get because John Q public just went out and bought it all. Yeah. And so it, it kind of threw us for a loop there for about a month or two. Cause we were like, okay, where the heck are we going to get isopropyl alcohol? 
you know. Wow. And then, well, yeah. And gloves. Gloves was the big thing. Right. Yeah, still gloves are like double the price. It's like a ripoff. I mean, I look at the prices of just the 100 count and I'm just like, oh my gosh, are you serious? Talk to your local Yeah, food. 20 bucks for 20 gloves. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Talk to your local food distributor um, that, that sells to restaurants. See if you okay. can get an account with them and, and buy uh, wholesale through them. That's what we ended up starting to do. Yeah, we've got a, one down here town that I can go talk to. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the scale aspect that you guys, because you went from literally zero to now. Um, are you both full-time on the, on the farm? How does that work? Yeah, so <laughs> in January, we, I made the decision that I was going to finish out my school year, and then I was going to stop doing that and start working full-time. Um, when COVID came and the schools went to virtual education and such, I basically went to full time at the farm starting March, um, okay. right when everything, right when everything kind of hit the fan. Um, but yeah, no, Jordan and I are both full time, more so in 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 most cases. Um, we actually, we're I'm super excited. We just started a rotation where every two weeks we each get two days off. So oh, that's fabulous. Yeah, so we're on a 12-on, 2-off schedule now, and it works pretty nice. well so far. Nice. So you're actually starting it's, to- It's nothing we can't handle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're making the business now start to work for you. That's the so, hope. Yes. Uh, so let's talk about, you know, what does, how do you have priorities? Obviously, the priorities are you have to do like, uh, you know, making the bags and sterilization, but like, I'm sure there's like maintenance and then there's also like build out of new things. How do you make sure you know what needs to be the focus? Um, it just comes with extreme planning. You know, we probably spend an hour or two a day, um, going back and forth on, okay, well, what's the next thing? How can we be better? And then we develop a plan and we just attack it. You know, like we're about to put up a new grow room. And so we developed a plan and we're, we're going, you know, head on with it. And we look for, okay, well, what is it that we need to improve on? You know, how can we be better in this aspect? How can we save on, you know, energy costs? How can we make our mushrooms absolutely the best damn mushrooms in Texas, you know, that people can get a hold of? Um, and so, yeah, we have, you know, a certain schedule, like, you know, we make spawn on certain days. Um, you know, we're making production blocks on certain days. We're cleaning certain areas certain days. And so just having that all kind of laid out just because when it's in your own head, it's one thing, but when you have it on paper, mm. now it's real. Mm -hmm. Right. So do you actually have it on papers on whiteboards? How do you keep track of all your lists? So we're, we're still evolving our our systems so, so to speak but yeah a lot of things that we do are, are on paper uh physical hard copy and and with with the our employees with us when tasks are done you whoever does it signs off on it and that's just the the accountability mm. for that um but there's also a lot of we're finally in a point now with our with our revenue that we can afford to put things up and to do these new construction events that we're doing the way we really want to do them. Um, yes. Not the we, bootstrapped. 
Right. When we started up last January, we had, you know, I had, I only had X dollars liquid that I could put in. Jordan only had X dollars that he could put in. And so we had a very finite budget. So we were like, okay, well, we want to do it like this, but we can't afford that. So Mm -hmm. how do we get as close to that as possible with what we can afford? So there was a lot of sweat equity and Mm -hmm. a lot of what we've done actually since COVID started, we've we've actually probably put more money into the farm since COVID started than we probably did in the, the year and a, and a month up to that point. Wow. Um, we've done, we've done a lot of upgrades. We've, we've put in the right equipment in the right way. We've upgraded the lab. We're putting up this new room now and all of these things are what are going to allow us to not only, you know, when COVID, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure later, but we, we expanded what we grow from five species to 12 plus, you know, when COVID started, we've changed our entire mode of how we sell. So mm-hmm. we're now looking at, okay, well, by these upgrades that we've put in, they're going to allow us to work at an even higher level, but at 50% of the labor cost. Mm. Or, and or we're going to save this much electricity on this, or we're going to save, you know, we're not going to have to buy spawn from a supplier because we're going to make it ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we've really been attacking kind of piece by piece by piece over the last six, seven months, all of these points that are making us much more efficient as a farm, as a business. So mm-hmm. we're, it, we're always evolving, but we're, we're finally at a point where we can do things the first time the way we wanted to the way we mm-hmm. want to as opposed to putting up what we can now and then upgrading it as we are able to three months six months down the line mm-hmm. what is the hardest thing that happened or that you guys have had to do since you started the business Ooh, i don't know what do really you um i would say at least for there there's a lot of hobbyist kind of home growers. Mm. And so going from a, a hobby home grow operation to a true commercial operation, mm. they are two completely different animals. There, There's a lot of things that you can get away with as a home hobby grower because you, you're, you have one rent to pay, right? Mm-hmm. You have one electricity bill. And so maybe you have another job and so you have expendable income and maybe you're not tracking all of those expenses mm-hmm. as things go on. And so you're just like, eh, well, you know, I'll buy bags whenever uh, I run out instead of, okay, well, what is our par level? Yes. Right. Do we need to have, we need to always have, you know, 2000 of these on hand so that once we get down to a thousand, we buy another, another set. Yeah. You know, and those, it's just, there, there's so many different principles that apply in a commercial operation. And so there's also a lot of things that once you do get to a commercial operation, that band-aids work just for a short amount of time. And so you can only live on those for so long before things start breaking down. And so, uh, like Adam said, yeah, we want to build it right the first time. Um, you know, just cause I have a kitchen background, you know, I'll say this, they, there's a saying said, make it right or make it twice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So we'd rather make it right, you know, now. And so, yes, it will be more expensive, but in the end, it's actually cheaper. 
because you don't have to go back and fix things and get this other part that's going to cost you thirty, forty-five dollars a month when you can mm-hmm. spend the five hundred, and it's going to last you three, four, five years, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, going to to that scale, which is is kind of a learning curve, and especially in the mushroom growing uh, community, there's not a ton of people that are just very free and willing just give you advice yeah. on how to yeah. do it because they've had to figure stuff out on their own and, and rightfully so, you know, just like for our consultations, you know, we're definitely anything that we tell you is going to be worth its weight in gold. Mm-hmm. But there's, you, there's a very good reason for that because yeah. we've screwed it up enough times before you've ever spent money on making a mistake that you're going to, you know, you're going to have to figure that out. But, you know, that's, and, and that's true in a lot of different industries, but especially in the mushroom growing community, you know, there's a lot of people that have a very good standing operation going and they have for six, seven, 10 years. And so you kind of realize that, yeah, learning from that person, it's absolutely worth it because I'm going to mm-hmm. save time and money, um, but it is going to cost money up front you know, just like anything else. Um, so that's definitely one of the big things, but for, for us, I mean, since January, 2019, I mean, if you just, if you just look at the growth that we had, um, from then until now, I mean, it was like, shoot, I mean, March or February of 2019, we were growing, selling about 80 to a hundred pounds. And then this year we were pumping out 500, right before I mean and we couldn't we couldn't actually keep up mm. there was yeah. there was more still out there that we definitely could have had you know pre-covid yeah, um we, in, Feb, in February we had a wait list of about four restaurants that wanted mushrooms from us and we just we couldn't provide for them wow and we were hitting between 500 and 550 pounds a week sold I remember actually, Adam, you texting and showing me pictures at that point because you were saying just it's blow, we're just blowing it out of the water, and then COVID hit. And then in six days, we lost a hundred percent of our restaurant clients, and yeah. we and our entire business model literally crashed and shattered on the floor. We built flipped on its head. We built the entire farm around mm-hmm. the idea that we were going to provide the the chefs in Dallas with the best damn mushrooms in Texas and mm-hmm. we we did a few farmers markets in 2019 but we did them kind of as well hey whatever mushrooms we don't sell to the restaurants we'll go to the farmers market and you know it's just it is what it is yeah and then when covid hit first of march we were it we were very lucky the the farmers markets were just starting to open up and Within within three weeks of COVID happening, we had gone from doing one market to doing four, and then we had a couple others that opened up uh, in in April, in May, uh, and uh, one more that opened in June. And we've just we've transitioned to almost an entire almost entirely to retail. Mm-hmm. Uh, restaurants are starting to reopen. We're starting to pick some some up, and that's that's wonderful. But we're we're basically at a retail point right now and now we're looking ahead trying to to get ahead of the curve because in texas farmers markets really don't run year round mm. um 
of the six that we're doing right now, only two of those uh, will run uh, throughout through the winter. So, so now you're having to pivot again to actually try to find customers one-on-one or online. Right, exactly. So we're, we're trying to, to ramp up our, our website sales. We're working with a couple of our chef partners to do some value add products and such. We actually just got our first sample of uh, oyster mushroom jerky. So we're going to be piloting that at a couple of farmers markets this weekend. And then if that goes well, hopefully we'll start adding that to the website and be able to ship that out. So, I mean, it's, there's like Jordan was saying, going from a hobbyist in your garage and growing, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds. Yeah. But changing to a commercial standpoint, you know, it's commercial is all about consistency. It's about knowing that every week you're going to be able to produce this much and sell that much. And mm-hmm. that's where we're at right now is trying to figure out not just the, the growing consistency and efficiency, but sales. Mm-hmm. 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 Very cool. Now, someone quite looking- honestly, Michael, it, it's actually made us into better farmers. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's made you now dial in every aspect of the record keeping of just understanding your craft so, so, so much more better. Because I think you went from like, you know, five varieties to what, 12? Yeah, right. Exactly. So it's over 12. And it's forced us to not ever become complacent. Mm hmm. Now, someone who's looking to go into mushroom production, you know, trying to learn about the industry, would you recommend more of a didactic, you know, online or just like learning from somebody or hands-on? Do people do internships on this sort of thing? Yes. Um, Yeah, you absolutely can. I mean, you can take an online course and they will definitely help out because that's certainly something that you knew or you didn't know before. And now you actually get to see it and you can see at least whenever I take an online course and if, if it's something physical, I'm like, okay, I do that with this in this way. So mm-hmm. now you can physically see someone doing something and then you, you get that kind of, you know, energizing inspiration where you're like, yeah, I can absolutely d- do that. You know, I'm smart enough to turn a, a torque wrench or, you know, yeah. whatever it may be, you know? But the, I think the other thing too is there's so many ways to grow mushrooms. So you have to make sure that you're actually working or looking at a system that actually makes sense for where you are. Because you're in Texas too. I mean, that's like you're dealing with a lot of heat. Uh, yes. True. Yes, we are. We've we've had a, a minor cold wave for the last week. Temperatures have only been in the high 80s. So it's been, glor- <laughs> it's been glorious. Um, we are at 40 degrees tonight. <laughs> oh, I'm so jealous. Wow. I'm so jealous. I'm afraid of a frost, but well, I think we'll be fine. <laughs> wow. So, yeah, I mean, every, I mean, it, indoor controlled environment agriculture is, is something that can definitely be taught in a, in a variety of ways. It's something that is super important. And I think it's one of the, personally, with my experience with hydroponics and aquaponics and now mushrooms, this type of agriculture, you are absolutely going to save yourself so much money but frustration you know just stress in general by going and taking a training course with someone getting doing a consultation with a more experienced farmer in that niche whatever because of the fact that there are there are so many more facets you know Mm -hmm. with 
as a soil, as a soil grower, you know, you need to know about the soil. You need to know about irrigation. You need to know, you know, weather patterns and solar dispersal and, and all of that. But it, there's only so much. If you're in the right zone, then you can grow this. If you're not, then you can't. But with controlled environment agriculture, you can be literally anywhere in the world and you can create any environment that you want. We could be in the middle of Saskatchewan. We could be in Antarctica. We could be on the equator and we can still create a room that is 68 degrees Fahrenheit and allows us to grow mushroom, mushroom a, or a room that's 55 degrees Fahrenheit. And we can grow King trumpets or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it just contro- controlled environment agriculture. You need to know construction methods. You need to know, everything about the species that you're growing, but you also need to know HVAC and heating and air ventilation and, you know, just lighting and all of those other things. Yeah. So it's getting, getting instruction in any form or fashion, whether it's a book or a training or uh, a face-to-face consultation with somebody that, that does it professionally. It's absolutely necessary in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's only so much. But it is, I will throw this in. It it is very specific also to where you are in the world. You know, like for us, um, we grow off of sawdust, right? So getting a a consistent product such as like hardwood fuel pellets down in Texas, you know, for people who don't use a uh, a pellet pellet, uh, smoker or a grill or a... uh, you know, big burner in their house. Yeah. Right. You know, that, that's pretty unheard of down here Mm -hmm. just because it's pretty dang hot six months out of the year, but you can source hardwood fuel pellets. No problem. If you're in Detroit, but if you're also in the Bahamas, well, you're probably not growing off of sawdust, you know, very common over there. They're growing off of sugar cane. I think it's Bagasse or Bagus. Um, Uh But you also may be in another area where straw is only available, mm-hmm. you know, so you have to look at what is available to you and what you can turn into a viable substrate and with this wor- worth your time, you know, like a, a great book, um, you probably read it, Michael, uh, the dip, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where you can, you can look at some, or you being able to discern a situation and say, okay, I should totally pursue that or I should totally walk away, right? Yeah. And you may be gung-ho completely. I am, you know, 100% mushroom man of the world, but there isn't a substrate local to you in your area that you can actually grow off of without paying an exorbitant cost to ship it in, you know? Yeah. So it may make sense not to wherever you're at. Um, And so that's kind of the key is to looking at, okay, what's available to me? Can I do it here? And is there even a market? Mm-hmm. And is there a market for me to source all these, you know, different ingredients that I can then turn into something that I can grow on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's too bad that mushrooms don't grow on used tires. <laughs> <laughs> With that, like the stop hey, they here. Might. <laughs> they, yeah, we don't know. I mean, it's a new strain out there, I'm sure. With that, like the right. stop here. Take a quick break. In a minute, we'll be back with Adam and Jordan. 
Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. Hey guys, we're back with Adam and Jordan from Texas Fungus talking all things mushrooms and uh, talk to us a little bit about the roles on the farm. Do you guys each have a specific area that you focus on or is it more equally splitting of the responsibilities? Well, it's... We kind of do everything, but we kind of also are trying to split into into to roles that we're more that we're more in control of. Um, Jordan is, in in my opinion, he's the by far the better like mycologist and grower specifically. So when it comes to growing mushrooms and such, I always defer to whatever he wants to do as far as that. Um, I've kind of taken more the the lead on just the the paperwork and the business side dealing okay. with invoicing and records and and such and I'm I'm working a little bit more with the the retail farmers market side and keeping mostly keeping the records and yeah. and such on that um I'm actually we're we're going to be beefing up our our training process for our our market employees cuz we think that's a, a point where we're leaving some money on the table, so to speak. So we're, I'm going to work on, on building up some of that. So I might be picking your brain, Michael, uh -huh. um, but yeah, we're going to be taking your class. Yes. Yes. And that actually has an entire module on that. So you guys are awesome. going to get, yeah, the training aspect is, is spot on because it's so important. I absolutely think if you think you're leaving money on the table at the market, you probably are leaving money on the table. So <laughs> yeah, that's good to hear. So cool. Yeah. Um, so that that's something that we're, that we're going to work on, but I don't know. What do you think, Jordan? You want to chime in on that? Yeah, sure. I mean, whenever it comes to the day-to-day, -day, yeah, I mean, we're at least I can speak for myself and well, I guess and somewhat for Adam. We we try to focus on each other's strengths. Mm. You know, and we and we triple down on those. Right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, there's certain things that I am way better at you know, than Adam is. And there's a lot of things that he's way better at than me, you know? Um, just when we were building certain things, he kind of looked at me and he was just like, okay, you don't know what an impact rated, you know, <laughs> this thing is. And I was like, they didn't have that in aisle 14 whenever I Googled it, you know, but you know, things of that nature. And, and I've certainly, I guess I, I think come a long way, <laughs> at least in, in that side, but um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes to, you know, what we're growing, I'm, I'm kind of the, the main decider on that in which, you know, I'm like, okay, well, what time of the year should we start growing King Trumpet? You know, uh -huh. what time of the year should we start growing Pink Oyster? And so there is kind of that, that side where similar to like a, a, a field crops farmer where they're looking at, okay, well, when, do, when should we start planting pumpkin seeds? Uh -huh. Right. Uh -huh. And so, yeah, I look at that and then I look, I'm constantly, at least for me, um, I'm really diving in on a 
few different species um, just to make sure that if we are going to spend our time and if we are going to grow this, is it going to be viable? Is it going to be worth it? And yeah. are we going to get the maximum amount of you know utility from that? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I look at that and then, you know, whenever it comes to like, I'm, I'm, I probably spend not enough time as I should, um, you know, just looking at petri dishes and looking at, you know, our spawn bags and making sure that, you know, okay, is there something a little bit that's throwing it off because that leads directly to your production bags. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden when, I thought everything was looking great, and then our mushrooms come out looking like hell. And I'm yeah. like, oh, God, well, time to go back to the drawing board, you know? And so I got to really, you know, divide, or really dive in on, okay, should we fruit things this way? Should we fruit things that way? Where should we position things, you know? What's the ideal temperature? You know, does this really like a lot of humidity up front and then not so much at the end? You know, there's a lot of that. And so going from five species up to 12 plus, yeah, it's, it's certainly made both of us better growers. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, we are certainly uh, figuring some things out um, and definitely the hard way, but it's going to be a much more uh, rewarding aspect at the end of it because we, we've got some cool things going on that just not a lot of people are doing, you know, especially when people first get into to mushrooms, they, they go into, you know, the easier species. Oysters are fairly easy, um, but, uh, and they're, they're very forgiving, I should say. Mm. Um, but there are some other things out there that people really, really want. And there's about, three or four people in the country that really know how to do it well. And Mm -hmm. so if we can get on that side of things, you know, and if we can do it in a short amount of time, you know, not only are we going to win, but everybody else will too, because now we don't have to have a shipment of mushrooms coming in from California, you know, to the DFW Metroplex when it's available from a local farmer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's one thing that at least I'm looking at. And at least for me, I kind of deal with the wholesale side of things where I really focus on that that farmer-chef relationship, you know. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, what's at least what's big to me is that whenever a chef goes from one restaurant to another restaurant, which is very common and also, you know, in a short amount of time, that we still keep that relationship. Mm -hmm. And so that you know, throughout the year, I can tell them, yes, we have these things all throughout these certain mushrooms all throughout the year, but, you know, in the fall, only these are available. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, they really jump on that because they also see something that they just can't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we're looking at, you know, of course, growing a lot of different things, but how can we become better at each and every level? You know, mm-hmm. how can we, you know, like we're right now, what we're, we've really been focused on is, you know, dialing in analytics where Fridays, you know, we're looking at, okay, well, how much did we actually sell at each individual market per species each week? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. why does this one only love this kind of mushroom and these ones don't, you know, so yeah. those, there, there are certain outliers hanging out there that, you know, we're still figuring out. 
And so, yes, are there still more questions than answers? Absolutely. Um, but we are, I, at least in my opinion, I think we're getting ahead of the curve. And certainly once, and like Adam said earlier, is that we have poured so much more and in, in, into the operation now than we did before. And we were certainly in a much better position to do that mm-hmm. because we just said, okay, once things kind of clear up or at least get into a, a, a manageable position that we want to be known as, you know, no one else makes a, deci- a decision to go anywhere else to go get their mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're the game yeah. in town. And I remember Adam mentioning that, that when you first started, you were the only game, but now there's other people trying to get in, but you're still head and shoulders above them because you're just innovating so rapidly. Right. And so, I mean, there was now, there's about seven or eight other people in wow. the Metroplex, you know, where I was at three, two, three years ago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, does that kind of make you lose sleep at night? A little bit. But we also, we're not super cocky. You know, we know where we've been. Yeah. <laughs> and we we know we never want to go back there. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, when and we've actually had people just say, yeah, can we come out to your farm? And they're like other local growers. And we're like, sorry, man, you're not invited. You know, mm-hmm. and then it's not in a rude way, but we've we've got our own bills to pay. You know, we actually have a staff that we got to make sure that they get a paycheck. Mm. You know, and so if we go to to feed our own competition locally, well, we might as well just pull out a 45 and shoot ourselves in both feet. Mm. So. So with that team, um, with the team, do you have specific roles that they do when they come on or is it how do you divide roles between them? Absolutely. I mean, those guys are straight on for, you know, to help us with production work. Okay. because we and, and Adam actually brought this up to me the other day is is that yeah okay look at the tasks that you do so what are worth you know ten dollars an hour what are worth a hundred dollars an hour what are worth a thousand dollars an hour and so yeah are we looking at making sure that are we not doing those ten dollars an hour jobs sure Mm. but we are still doing some of that right but is our time better spent planning and making sure that we're being, you know, innovative and coming out with new things. Because at the end of the day, all the responsibility falls on Adam and I's shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it's one of those that, you know, we, Jordan and I built this farm by doing those tasks, by doing the basic production tasks and doing the day-to-day operations. And to be honest, I mean, that as a farmer, those are the fun tasks. We I know. We get to see something happen and see something develop. The, those are the days where, yeah, I come home exhausted at the end of the day when, when I've been just, just absolutely busting things left and right. But those are the days where I feel like I've accomplished and done something. The day where I sit at the desk in the office and I'm going through paperwork and looking at you know, analytics of what sold at what market and, and what we need to send the next week and this and that. And, you know, all of those things that are vital and important for us to grow. I know that's valuable to the farm and that's going to get us to the next level, but I don't feel the same level of accomplishment. And, and that's something that I've had to get through my head that for us to really get 
to that next level and really become the better farm, I personally have to let go of some of the things that are more enjoyable for me or that are mm-hmm. more, that make me feel more accomplished. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, the, the guys that we have working with us, they're great guys. Um, and yeah, like Jordan said, their, their job is to come in and do a lot of the basic production tasks to allow Jordan and I to spend more time developing the relationships with those chefs that he does, or for me to work with the market managers at the farmer's markets and just to work on the marketing and the website. And, you know, those things that those yeah. are the revenue generating tasks. Those are the ones that are going to make us a bigger farm and a better farm with a wider reach. And those mm-hmm. are the tasks where we need to focus, especially now. And we need to get our efficiencies in place with our equipment, with our systems and such that allow us, or that allow our, our farm hands, allow our guys, our crew to do more, to do more in less time so that it, so that we can afford to keep them. I mean, that's, that's really kind of where we are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember when I was running our farm, I felt my role at the end. I was actually looking to try to hire someone into that role, but I was more the, and I'm sure Jordan, you're very familiar with this, but I think it's the expediter in the kitchen is the person who kind of stands there and just makes sure everyone is like keeping on top of everything. Right. So that's just kind of, I feel like that manager role is just setting up people, making sure they have this stuff they need to be successful and, uh, and then just feeding the, the task to them. Yeah, so let's, absolutely. yeah, but you still need to, at the end of the day, you still need to be able to, at least in my opinion, you need to be able to do that job better than they do. Oh yeah. But you also need to have the competency to be able to teach them how to do it effectively. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's, that's what we're looking at, putting in, you know, SOPs and protocols of this is exactly how you do uh, project A, you know, mm-hmm. because we've been there, we've done that. It's not like we just copied and pasted it from some PDF we found on the internet. It's no, it actually applies to exactly what you're doing here, you know? And so, yeah, things like that. But yeah, just as Adam said, are there certain things where we like to do and we should be we could probably do it better but is it a better use of our time where we can spend two hours doing y and it's going to result into z you know Mm -hmm. let's talk about the marketing i know you've changed that multiple times you've talked about the kind of the aspects of that what varieties of mushrooms sell well in your areas Honestly, we don't grow a mushroom that doesn't sell. I mean, that, that's kind of, that would be kind of silly for us. Um, we, everything that we grow has at least one or two channels that can't get enough of them. Mm. Um, we, right now we're growing four to five different types of oysters. Um, we were growing five, but it's getting colder. So we're kind of phasing the pink oysters out, but we grow four to five types of oyster mushrooms, but we've got, Lion's mane, coral tooth, chestnut, piapino. Uh, what else do we have, Jordan? King trumpet. King trumpet, maitake. Um, we have one that's called Nebrodini that we're still ironing with. out, but um, reishi as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just as he said, I mean, it, whenever we show up, because not the majority of people that show up to a farmer's market 
really have never seen the mushrooms that we bring. Yeah. You know, they're, they're very familiar with the, those agaricus, you know, that's the genus, but you know, white button cremini portobello. Mm -hmm. And so as, as long as we don't bring those commodity mushrooms, it's, it's really not a hard sell. You know, we, of course, you know, we, we taste everything that we, that we grow so we can effectively sell those to other people. So we can say, yeah, lion's mane is more savory, but coral tooth has this awesome sweet flavor. Yeah. Because we've tasted it. We've done it. Mm -hmm. And so people are just like, oh my God. And then they come back the next week and it's just, you know, they're like, well, like we, we, we actually have a problem right now because we sell so much lion's mane during the week because through one of our chefs who buys a lot, but also we have some other orders that come in. And by the time we start boxing up mushrooms to go out on Friday, we're like, holy cow, we don't have enough lines made to take to this market. And those customers are probably going to put our head on a spit, you know, yeah. if we don't start yeah. bringing more. Jordan actually got yelled at by what was it? It was several people, right? Last week at, at that market in particular that you didn't have any lions made. Oh, because, boy. because, because while I was setting up, I sold all that I had to other market vendors <laughs> before the market started. That's amazing. So when eight o'clock hit, I didn't have any. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was, it was interesting. So like a mark marketing wise. So lion's mane is a great example. When we started at our first farmer's market in 2019, um, we would bring, you know, 10 pounds of oyster mushrooms out and five to 10 pounds of lion's mane out. And, you know, people looked at it and we constantly got the, wait, that's a mushroom. It looks like cauliflower. And yeah. so there's all of this, but people were, the, the people at the market were afraid for lack of a better term of the lion's mane. They, it didn't match what they thought of a what they thought a mushroom should look like. And they were afraid to get it. And we couldn't sell lion's mane at all so for a period of like three to four weeks we just decided that anytime anybody bought oyster mushrooms or something else from us we were going to give them a quarter pound of lion's mane free and tell them how to cook it and we did that for about three weeks maybe it was a month but i think it was three weeks but after that we had this rabid following that came to the market specifically for lion's mane to the point where there were some weeks where I'd bring out 10 to 15 pounds of lion's mane and I'd sell, sell out of that before I sold out of oysters. Mm -hmm. And, and well, shoot, that one market you brought, you brought 20 something pounds out and sold out by, you know, two hours. Yeah. By like 1030. Yeah. I remember that. Right. <laughs> and lion's mane isn't a cheap mushroom. No, no, it's not. It's, it's one of, it's, so we, we have our, our, our oyster mushrooms and shiitakes are our base mushrooms. And then we have our specialties and that's pretty much everything else we grow. Mm -hmm. And yeah, lion's mane is, is not cheap, but it's, I mean, it's, people love it. And it's, it's a really versatile mushroom that can be used in a lot of ways. It's like Jordan said, it's savory, but it's got a crab meat flavor to it, but you can also grill it or smoke it. I mean, mm -hmm. it's also medicinal. all sorts of things. It's also medicinal. So yeah, yeah it's. I know a lot of people are interested here for when we start growing lion's mane because of the, there's one person that said they'll take all our seconds because they want to turn that into some sort of health powder or something like that. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. Yeah. We, so in, during COVID, we started looking at value-added products. And one of the ones that we've looked at pretty strongly is medicinal tinctures. And mm-hmm. we're still working out some of the details on all of that. But I mean, it's, it, we're working on this. And there's a lot there that we can do. So it's, it's coming. Mm-hmm. Jordan, can you give us an overview of like the growing process? I mean, from like you get the, um, I know you're doing your own spawn now, but you get the, like the, um, I don't know what's called before spawn, but um, I guess the syringes, I know, cause I, I've gotten some syringes before of, of mushroom spawn. So talk to us through the entire process. Sure. I mean, when it comes to mushroom growing, it kind of has this circular life cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever you, whenever you see mushrooms out in the wild, Um, you're looking at a, like ice cube compared to the iceberg, right? So mushrooms are just the fruiting body. The only reason mushrooms actually really exist is because the mycelium, which is the mushroom root system, feels like its life cycle is going to end. So it produces a mushroom to keep, or that uh, it produces a mushroom to shoot out and sporulate to, so to shoot out more spores so it can keep its life cycle going on because mushrooms by biology they're they're decomposers right so they just take over whatever medium they attach to and just say i'm going to suck all the energy out of this and so when it comes to it, it like i said it's a circular life cycle so it goes from spore to spores mating and then they germinate and then they colonize a whatever area and then they just grow so the mycelium when i say they grow i'm talking about the mycelium so the mycelium is actually one of the longest living uh, organisms on the planet and it can actually stretch from you know coast to coast all the way and you know produce mushrooms as it goes and so um, when it comes to like the life cycle, what we really search for are, yes, um, a great species. So when we identify a great species, we're looking at one, number one, A, can we grow it off of what we normally grow on? Or do we need to you know, add something slightly different to it? And will it make it a viable product that we can still, does it make sense for us to grow that, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's kind of that deciding factor where you have to discern uh, whether, okay, is this totally worth it or should we just put that on the shelf and deal with that at a later date? And so like oysters are very aggressive. They grow very fast um, and they shoot out a lot of spores. That's why they're all over the freaking world, right? Mm-hmm. In some capacity, you know, there's all kinds of species of Pleurotus, you know? And so... Um, yeah, basically what I spend, you know, most of my time on is where you can take, um, and you can even take, and that's the great thing about mushrooms is that you don't need seeds. And that's really what Adam referred to in the very beginning, why mushroom growing is so different Mm -hmm. is that you don't actually need seeds is that you can take a piece of mycelium. You can take a, a tissue culture from the inside of a mushroom and spread that out onto a Petri dish and then spread that out to a uh, hundred more petri dishes, and then eventually that will hit, you know, some kind of very nutritious grain. And then from that grain, which you're basically making mushroom seeds, you know, at that point, or at least that's 
the best analogy I can come up with mm-hmm. is that then you, you propagate that out. And so really the, the key to it is finding, um, because mycelium is so wild, especially when you look at it under a microscope, is that you will start to see certain parts of the mycelium grow out way faster than others. And certain areas of it mate way quicker, way more aggressive. And there's no real rhyme or reason as to why um, they, they just start to take off so much more. And so then you try to isolate and you do a lot of strain isolation. And mm-hmm. so, and then you, you try to isolate, okay, I want this super aggressive part of it. And then it just goes nuts, you know? And then eventually, you know, once you finally see that part of it grow out onto a, you know, a production block and then you're like, wow, that didn't do anything. That was really worthless, <laughs> you know, or you actually hit, you know, and so we just try to keep our batting average uh, pretty high, so to speak. So, yeah, throughout the, the process, there's there's a lot of different ways you can start. You can do with a sports syringe and yeah. go straight to grain. You can take that and go right to an agar plate with it. You know, so really the the key to it is propagating it out cleanly uh-huh. um, and successfully, but also in the right way. Yeah. So, all right. So you've got, let's say the, the syringe, let's say you go right to the grain. And of course you have to sterilize the grain before um, you inoculate it. And then it's sure. going to grow, grow that out. Then you're going to put that with your bags, which are going to be sterilized as well. Yep. And then from the bag, the bags are going to, how long do you have to colonize them for? Cause they have to colonize next. Well, that's depending on the species. Certain species are very fast. Mm-hmm. Like, um, oysters. like oysters, right? And um, but some other ones, like you know, maitake in the woods, or even rishi, which is really long. It takes a long time for those to colonize, mm. and that's just very specific to that species. And so a lot of the a, a lot of the time that I spend is okay. I, I try to challenge not only my own thoughts, but what is actually out there available for the information uh-huh. that's, and so I try to see, okay, well, how can I take that and then tweak that a little bit to where maybe it's better or maybe it's more effective for us. Mm. I mean, so far I've been going through one article that I had to translate from Korean okay, uh, the other day because it was an article from 2006 and I had this, translated specifically because they were growing on what they could. So one of the ingredients in there was dried bean curd, right? Uh Yep. Yep. And so, and that's just for one species out of, you know, one of the other, the other 11, it doesn't probably make sense. Yeah. So that's, that's what I I spend a lot of my time doing is, okay, what is that perfect substrate? Mm -hmm. You know, what is that perfect mode of operation? Um, to make something grow out successfully, um, cleanly, and where it could be done uh, on, on a true commercial scale. You know, like I said, when you're doing this stuff at home, it's not really that big of a deal because you probably have another job that still pays the bills. But for us, you know, every second, every decision matters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Adam, what would you say? No, you've been, you've done a few different things in agriculture and you've seen a lot of different operations. What would you say the biggest mistake beginning farmers make is? In, in general, I would say farmers suffer from, from two main problems. And, and one of them really is, is, I would say, probably most people when they get into starting a business is, you know, you have this great idea for a, a service or a product that you love and you get so excited that you are able to produce that, that you don't check and see if there's really a market that wants to buy it. Mm. So that's, that's one of the big mistakes that I've seen just kind of across the board. But with farmers, um, I mean, I, I saw this several times when I was consulting for people with aquaponics and hydroponics is they wanted to do this because they wanted to grow XYZ crop, you know, these mm-hmm. particular things because they loved them. And they, they got offended when I told them, okay, that's great. But as a farmer, you're in business. And if you can't sell it, then there's no point in growing it. Mm. And so once again, that goes back to the same thing that there's no market. Mm-hmm. Um, so that to combined with, with, you know, having your eyes bigger than your pockets um, and biting off more than you can chew. Uh, start simply, you know, in like in our operation right now, growing mushrooms, we make our own spawn. We, we produce our own bags. We fruit everything out. We do 12 different species of mushrooms. If you're going to start out and you want to do a mushroom farm, okay, start off by buying blocks from a reputable source. You know, don't worry about colonizing. Don't worry about sterilizing. Don't worry about Mm -hmm. inoculating. Just buy the blocks and fruit them out and get that specific set of, of tasks and procedures wired in. So you know how to do it guaranteed. You know, there's still a lot of moving parts just in that one little facet. And when you feel you have that dialed in, okay, well then maybe you can start making your blocks, but buy your spawn from a reputable supplier, mm-hmm. you know, cause our entire workflow, I've watched Jordan switch over to making spawn for our farm and the workload that he has taken on by adding that into, into the farm and into his daily tasks has easily doubled, easily mm-hmm. doubled because now in addition to producing, you know, 210 production bags a week of 12 different species he's now managing agar plates and spawn production for probably somewhere between 40 strains 30 to 40 strains that we have on agar and you know probably 8 to 10 8 to 12 species that uh he does on spawn every week Mm -hmm. so that's a huge level of work and and detail that you have to keep track of so start simply always. So with the, on the agar plates, how long is the, can the strain stay on those? Jordan? I mean, ideally they, you don't want them to stay living on it for so long, but yes, depending on the species, you can refrigerate that. Okay. So, um, except for like pink oyster, pink oyster, at least I've, I've yet to find a strain that you can refrigerate. Oh, Okay, it's really um, because, warm. Right. Yeah, it's a very tropical kind of strain. Um, but there's some plates that I've pulled out of the fridge, and then I've made spawn, or at least generation one spawn with them, and they work out just fine. 
And this mm-hmm. is because when when they were made, they were made very cleanly. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's that's the name of the game is just trying to stay as clean as possible, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of keep a, a restaurant reference that someone once told me is that uh, at a restaurant that I was working at, our server staff actually got a higher rating um, than the kitchen staff. And the chef at the time just straight up told me whenever I I screwed up a steak and I thought I could get by with like, "Eh, well, it's a little charred, you know, but maybe they'll say nothing. And he just told me, he was like, we can't, he's like, we can't be four star just out front. We have to be four star back here. Mm. And so that's why I'm, I'm just, I'm making sure that, you know, every time that I step into the lab, I'm doing it with purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, and making sure that, you know, I'm not just going through the motions of doing stuff that each and every time it's a completely different mindset. Like you will have, you know, Jordan, that's kind of, you know, go crazy and maybe I'll bust your balls, you know, while we're working and stuff. And, you know, I make fun of how old Adam is and things like that. Yeah. But whenever it comes to working in the lab, it is absolutely go time. Mm-hmm. because there is no mistakes that can afford to be made. Mm-hmm. And so um, you got to take a very serious approach to it, you know? Um, and yeah, when, especially when you're working on agar, because if, if, especially when you want to just, if you don't have, you know, specialized equipment, just looking at something with the naked eye, it will look like, Oh, that's growing out. Nice. That's kicking butt. We should go ahead and, you know, start making production bags with it. And then whenever you do, and then you realize, wow, that did nothing. Mm. So time or, to go back to square one. Or you didn't see a contamination and all of a sudden 30 bags turn green overnight. So, oh. I mean, yeah, happens, exactly. And then that's too. a big production cost mm-hmm. because not only did it cost you the substrate, it cost you the labor, it cost you the electricity to, to not only cook them, but also to incubate them because <laughs> we're, especially in the summer months, you know, in our space, we have no central heat and air. Yeah, so so we have to put air conditioning. Yeah, exactly. On individual rooms. Mm-hmm. And so taking a hundred degree air or an, and even some, we've even temped our roof with a, with a temp gun. And then sometimes it's red 125 plus. Whew. So we have to take that air and then cool it down to about 70 to our incubation room mm-hmm. and then finally it gets to the into our grow room and or if, it, if it does make it to our grow room <laughs> uh maybe it contaminates that, that way yeah. right you know where we're trying to go even cooler yeah. so mm-hmm. there's a lot of moving parts to it you know and once again that comes back to why we have to clean every day because the more contamination i mean there there's mold spores and contamination everywhere that's always going to be yeah but the more the less we clean the more likely it is that that contamination will get into the bags or onto the fruiting blocks and so so we just try to give a good environment for the mushrooms to grow as best as we can because then we have to go back home each and every day and say okay did we give it our all? Did we mm-hmm. give the best environment that we could have provided or did we slack off? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you could pick one, what would be your favorite tool for farming? 
for farming or for running? Well, I'm, I'm still calling your, I'm still calling your mushroom. I'm calling that a farm. You're producing oh, food. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. I, it, it absolutely is a farm. I'll, I'll fight anybody that says it isn't. You know, I mean, it, it, as Jordan said, we are the epitome of an urban farm. Yeah. I mean, we, we are absolutely non-traditional. You could drive, you drive into our business park. There's three guys doing mechanic and auto body work. And the guy next to us is a, um, is a, a, a carpentry shop. I mean, you mm. never know that there was a farm in there, much less one of the largest, if not the largest mushroom farm in, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. Mm. But no, we are absolutely a farm favorite tool um i actually have no idea that's an odd question that i haven't thought of jordan you go first my favorite tool is absolutely the chainsaw there are very few satisfying tools in a chainsaw yes but we don't use a now chainsaw i don't use that farm, every jordan. day well i can use it on you if i want to hey now hey now <laughs> Oath of violation. <laughs> but so if, if you're going to grow outdoors and yes. you want to do like log inoculation, man, it, it, in the fall, in the winter, when you're out there and you, you know, you're slaying down trees, uh -huh. that's really fine. Um, I would say probably the most favorite or useful tool, um, an impact driver. Yeah. Okay. That gets stuff done pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh my gosh. I could not live without mine. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. I'm going to be using it significantly tomorrow, actually. <laughs> I would have to say that, you know, for running the farm and for actually doing the business side, I, as much as I hate it, I couldn't do without my cell phone. The, mm. the, the fact that we're instantly yeah. connected, we can contact our chefs, our market managers, our employees, that we can, we can buy a, a replacement part if we need it or order uh, hardwood pellets or whatever. I mean, it, it's it's funny. Jordan Jordan actually said this to one of our one of our our crew the other day that we don't let them be on their their phones because mm -hmm. it's a distraction for them. But that doesn't that rule doesn't apply to Jordan and I because we run the farms through our phones. Mm -hmm. We run. The it wouldn't exist if we didn't have a cell phone. So when when we're doing a task and all of a sudden we step offline to answer a task, uh, a, a text, or to respond to a phone message or whatever, that's, that's vital importance. So it, it's certainly not as cool as a chainsaw, but mm -hmm. probably the one that I use the most is, is myself, is my phone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunately a necessity. And you're absolutely right. I mean, you're out in the field. I mean, it's one of the things we had um, a homeschool group out to the farm today and they were doing a tour around and uh, one of the women had a app and I think Google does this too, but it was, this was an expensive, I think a $30 app, which is expensive for apps go, but it was literally every single leaf on the different trees that we have on our property or just the plants we have, it was instantly recognizing them, which is so cool. And and just like, you know, just thinking about like that, that now getting that for mushrooms and getting that for like contamination would be cool. But I mean, just the other aspects of it, I'm using my phone out there for ordering parts and, and, and calling in orders and, um, you know, just dealing with different people. And, and we have our entire, we have the sunflower field going on right now and everything is being scheduled through a application because we only have very limited parking. So mm -hmm. we can't have like hundreds of people at a time. So we have this little app that every half hour, it releases eight tickets. 
and people can like book one of those eight tickets. So it's really worked out very, really well. Um, and very then, nice. Yeah. And then when people show up, we ask them to donate. They can do that through Venmo or PayPal. We ask them to rate and check in on the farm so that they are, you know, giving us uh, good feedback as well as pushing our, our Facebook ranking up. Um, and when you get your Facebook ranking and people keep checking in, it keeps pushing that out to more and more people. So yeah, I mean, the phone is, it's unfortunately, and I, I guess on the other side, like my wife and I are finishing up the movie, The Social Dilemma. And we're seeing, you know, and again, the phone isn't social media, but social media is tied so much to all of that. So on one aspect, yeah, it's indispensable. And another aspect, it's super scary. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that 100%. Mm-hmm. So do you guys believe that now is the best time to be starting to farm? I mean, when's the right time to, to have a family, start a baby, or start a family, have a baby? Mm-hmm. You know, there, there is no right time. But yeah, if that's absolutely what, what at least for me if farming makes you happy you should put happiness above everything else mm. yeah it, if it's really what you want to do today is better than tomorrow but it's not as good as yesterday i mean it they're starting a farm doesn't mean you have to go out and buy 50 acres and mm-hmm. a tractor and this and that and and quit your job i mean god how many farmers do i know of that you know one or both people in the family have off farm employment and they farm part time and mm-hmm. farming is not so much a job as it is a calling. And if you want to do it, do it, but find a way to do it that balances with your life and your lifestyle and with the resources you have available. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, because the resources you have available will be very different than the person next door. And I think the thing too, which is really cool with both of you is you guys, you didn't wait around to start. You just started and you both were bootstrapping from the start. You didn't have a ton of liquid assets, as you said, but you just made it happen and and got it going. And now you're, I mean, I mean, who else can say, you know, within a year of starting my business or a year and a a few months, I literally kissed the nine to five goodbye. So well, kissing my <laughs> nine to f- kissing my nine to five away has been a, a process that's I've been looking for the way to do it for about the last 10 years. So, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, it, it, it was one of those. And, and to be honest, you know, yes, I'm fully, I'm full-time employed by the farm, but my salary has gone down almost 50%. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I have the luxury of between my wife's employment and my own employment, we, can still make things work. We're much uh-huh. tighter than we were last year for certain. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But, but like I said, it's, it's a calling and yeah. I am and- super stressed most days, but it's a good stress and I enjoy it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't choose to do anything else. Well, and I think you said too, you're investing heavily right now into the business and hopefully eventually that will start to end. Oh God, it better. <laughs> <laughs> but I keep hearing about all the different things you're buying. And I'm like, okay, they're not going to have to buy another one of those for a while. So they should, they should run out of things to upgrade. Um, right. I mean, oh, maybe boy. never, maybe you're going to need your own building next. Um, oh, don't, don't joke about that, Michael. <laughs> don't. We actually, we did. We talked on, on Monday, we had the opportunity to go up and buy some equipment from another grower that was uh-huh. shutting down. Um, sales she couldn't pivot enough so we ended up buying buying some equipment off of her and on that drive jordan and i were talking about okay well 
what about next year? If mm. we expand mm-hmm. into more farmers markets, if we do this, if we do that, if we, you know, all these different options that are potential at this point, okay, well, if we go this direction, we're going to need these things and we're going to need a place to store that. So uh-huh. Uh-huh. we need to look for another, do we buy a shed and put it in front of our warehouse or do we rent another thousand square feet where we can open up a, a yeah. retail storefront, you know? And so uh-huh. no, we're, I don't want to get any more space, but we're probably going to end up getting it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Where can people find more about you and your work? Check us out on Facebook, you know? Facebook, Instagram, and, and, and honestly, TexasFungus.com. Yep. Um, we're coming out with a 10-day mushroom intensive. Nice. And, you know, once you send, sign up for it, there's going to be a plethora of information, which at least for us can seem didactic at times. Mm-hmm. But um, it will be loaded with information to the gills. Um, as far as what to do with these awesome mushrooms once you get them. And then it's kind of a challenge of, yeah, cook mushrooms for 10 days and see how you feel. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. how are, how's your body going to react to that? You know, and then you, I, at least in my opinion, you'll come out on the other end feeling <laughs> completely different yeah. and a much more, a much more, you know, healthier person. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about, because you guys have the mushrooms there locally, but you've also done grow kits and you've shipped those before. I mean, we, uh, we were working with you guys when we were um, for a while there, um, helping you guys get those kits out to people and people love them. Talk to us a little bit about that process. Um, Cause you can, can, are you still shipping those across country? We are. Um, we're, we're only, we're doing a few kits at this point every okay. week. We do about 12 to 15 every week. And honestly, we're selling most of those directly through our, our local farmer's markets. Mm, okay. um, but we are definitely going to be ramping up our kit production for uh, the holiday season. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. We've had a, we've had a number of people email us or message us and request, you know, are we going to do kits for the holidays for Christmas gifts? Uh-huh. So we're working out some details on that. What we're probably going to do is do like a pre-order type situation gotcha. where, where people can pre-order it in advance and then it will ship out and we'll probably have like, have a couple ship dates where you can get it either before Christmas or at Christmas or uh-huh. after Christmas, whatever. Um, maybe get a gift certificate or a card at Christmas for the gift giving, whatever, but we'll figure that out. But we're going to do that. Um, like I said, we've got a couple other uh, uh, value-added products that we're going to put on the website to ship. Um, but we, we've had request after request to be able to ship fresh mushrooms around the country. And we're just unfortunately not set up for that. So mm-hmm. that was what really kind of got us into the Grow at Home kit idea gotcha. at the beginning yeah. was somebody wanted a box of mixed oysters and we're like well we can't ship you the oysters but how about we ship you a, mm-hmm. a ready to fruit block and just tell you how to fruit it on your kitchen counter so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah we do we do oyster mushrooms and the lion's mane in the kits so Very cool. they've, been, they've been a good seller so far very cool. Well, thank you too much uh, for your time today. I really appreciate it. I know that it's late and uh, you guys, I'm sure, have a lot of the things you'd love to do. It's the end of the week, but I really appreciate you spending what, oh my gosh, what has this been an hour and a half with us? <laughs> so it's always a good time. Yes. Yeah. And Adam, you are a great host. I remember we were down there. Was it last year or the year before? Actually, two years ago, we were down two there. Years, two years ago, yes. end of summer, wasn't it? 
uh, I forget exactly when, but yes. But last year we were trying to catch up and then we just got deathly ill at my mm-hmm. brother brothers up there. So we ended up, never ended up seeing you, but um, yeah, I missed that, missed seeing the operation, which was super disappointing, but I will be down there. I'm sure at some point, not sure if it'll be this winter, but probably in the future at some point. So absolutely. You're yeah. welcome anytime. All right. Well, I appreciate that. Well, again, thank you two so much. And uh, we will check in at a later point again. Sounds great. Thanks, Michael. Michael, it was a pleasure. All right. Thank you, guys. Looking to start or grow your farm business? You need a compelling farm plan that you can share with investors, convince your significant other with, or just to give yourself peace of mind. We have created a new program called the Start Your Farm Intensive. In it, you'll learn how to develop your farm idea to make sure you take all the factors into consideration for your context and your climate. You'll learn how to craft a one-page business plan that helps clearly define your target customer and lay out the necessary characteristics of your business. You will understand the three financial documents that every farm needs to fill out to make sure you are making money. And we'll give you all that as templates too. So you have the templates to fill out for your farm business. We'll also go through funding. So where to go for funding for the various stages and parts of your business. Starting a farm is hard. Starting a farm without a proven plan is almost impossible. Join us today. Go to growingfarmers.com forward slash start for more information. Now, what did past students have to say? Corey says, the exercises and spreadsheets helped me make the learning process easier and more real. Jenna says, I gained the support system and resources I needed for when I'm ready for the next step. And finally, the worksheets make you think out every aspect of the business step by step. Go ahead, join us today, growingfarmers.com forward slash start. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.